eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hey, everyone. Got a special message. As we all know, there's been a lot going on these last few weeks, and we understand that some of you have questions that you want answered and you want them answered now. But all we can say is the same thing we've said before. We don't condone bullying and we're still learning more. But we can't answer your questions just yet. We just can't. We just ask that you please have patience with us during an extraordinarily difficult and complicated time. But to be clear, we want to reiterate that the harassment bullying, and threatening of Ben's former partner must stop immediately. If any of you listening right now are behind the harassment, the threats, or Taylor's social media accounts being nuked, you've done wrong. You're acting completely contrary to the message and spirit of this show that you claim to love. She is a human being. She is a real person. And she deserves compassion and understanding just like anyone else. And if any of you out there see this harassment going on, help Taylor. Do not let this mistreatment continue. To the rest of you, I just want to thank all of you for sticking by us. And we appreciate your patience and your understanding as we work all this out. And now, on to the show. There's no place to escape to. This is the last time. On the left. That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? I understand. I know you're shutting down with the cold. Are you recording? I'm looking at Marcus. I know. You're cold. I'm very cold. But this is called fat man temperature. <laughs> yeah, okay. Man. There's two of us here. That's right. right? There's one of you. You mm-hmm. understand. Eventually, as every episode, right? Happened last time. Happens every single time. Mm-hmm. The temperature in the room will rise. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it rises. We, Not always. You. What are you talking about? I am already. I'm already sweating. I don't I, understand. I'm sweating. There will be marks under my breast. All right. The if there's not this. marks under the under your breast at the end of this show, we're gonna have a fucking chat. <laughs> oh, he'll show. Have a chat. He's gonna press it to your forehead. <laughs> Welcome to the last podcast on the left, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Marcus Parks. I'm here with Henry Zabrowski <clears throat> and Ed Larson. Oh. oh. McDonald had some <laughs> kids. Oh, wow. Oh. Is that bad? No longer around today. We're talking about family annihilator Jeffrey McDonald. Oh, McDonald had This is for all life. the toddler listeners out there. Yes. Hey, honestly, the toddler true crime reach 
is getting more <laughs> amazing. I mean, I can't believe the PR. I, I think there's a whole thing that's called Manson for babies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's good for them to understand. Yeah, just before we started, we were talking about shapes for a while. Yeah, you know? <laughs> getting into it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Getting into Henry's dressed like an Easter egg, apparently. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> I hate this shit. You look like the uh, what they've modeled peeps after. Get out of here. <laughs> Get out of the studio. You look like a... I don't want to do it anymore. A cop that fell asleep at a poker party and woke up (laughs) with his hair blue. I'll take it. Did that come with a bunch of costume wings? Do whatever, man. (laughs) Now, while you may have never heard of him, Jeffrey McDonald was one of the most infamous and imaginative family annihilators of his time. I'm glad you called him imaginative. He was. He Mm -hmm. deserves that credit. In February of 1970, Jeffrey murdered his pregnant wife and two young daughters in a frenzied amphetamine-fueled rage that involved two knives, a wooden club, and a single ice pick. Oh, look at all my props! (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, we're doing the Murderfish show right now. We're working on the Murderfish show, and it's kind of crazy running around with props again. Oh, it feels great, man. I've literally been texting people like, do you have a gun I can borrow? (laughs) (laughs) But unlike many family annihilators, Jeffrey McDonald escaped justice for nearly a decade and in fact reveled in the celebrity that quote-unquote surviving the brutal murder of his family brought him they didn't even touch me (laughs) he really is so proud of in many ways i think it's 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 weird hearing his testimony where like in his own head he is he is a hero he kind of forgets about the entire family altogether Mm -hmm. and it's more just being like but isn't it amazing that I survived. <laughs> <laughs> you always had to make himself look good. And that celebrity, of course, came because Jeffrey created a damn good story to tell. And he actually acted as his own booking agent to tell that story to whatever media outlet was willing to listen. And those media outlets were legion. Oh, yeah, because yeah. if, if you're a super talkative murderer, <laughs> nobody loves it more. Because Put it on camera. They, they, he loved attention and he just wanted all of it and they were ready to take whatever he would give them. It's just like, you're going to brag about killing someone. It shouldn't be kids. You know, it, you're it, right. it should be like a, a formidable opponent. No, it <laughs> should be. You should have been fresh from the sands of Iwo Jima. <laughs> so to cover up his crimes, Jeffrey claimed his home was invaded by four hippies who might have been Satanists. You never know. Although he couldn't be for sure. Mm-hmm. They then murdered his family one by one with all the fervor of the Manson family, mysteriously leaving Jeffrey a trained Green Beret with little more than a bump on the head and a punctured lung. A lightly punctured lung. Now, since the Manson family murders had occurred just the previous summer, what? I that a, a lightly punctured well, because, lung. Because, you know, because I thought about punctured lung, I'm like, I think I'd die. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> it's just like, it feels like, you know, when you poke the skin of a baked potato, yeah. if you're going to put it in the oven? Yeah, let out some air. Now, during uh, one of his interrogations, one of the cops was like, I've seen a man get shot in the heart by a 38 slug and run a hundred yards. And yet you get taken down by a lightly punctured lung. I don't think (laughs) I understand how important my lungs are to my athletic performance. (laughs) Now, since the Manson family murders had occurred just the previous summer, the psycho hippie story was accepted by the public for years and could very well have contributed to the satanic panic that began in the late seventies and reached a fever pitch a decade later. But contrary to public opinion, investigators knew that Jeffrey was their man immediately. And although it took a few years, Jeffrey's in-laws came to believe that he was guilty as well. Together, they eventually brought Jeffrey to justice. He brought 
everyone together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these family annihilators, man, they're such pussies. You know? Yeah. 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 Be a real man and leave. <laughs> yeah, man. You've know? said this so many times. We've just been like, and I'll say it again directly in the camera. If you're thinking about it for a second, it's just so much easier to just get on a bus and go fucking anywhere else. Go leave. be gay. Do it. <laughs> please, please be gay. Go out there, empty the bank accounts. It's okay. Yeah, it's bad, blah, blah, blah. But just get the fuck out of there because then you don't, you know, you just don't then kill your family. Yeah. yeah. Or get a punctured lung. That's yeah. That's a part of the fucking... You don't have to puncture your own lung. Yeah. This is why I'm going to adopt, you know, because if I snap, I'm not killing my kids. <laughs> <laughs> the story, however, also has a fun true crime industry twist, which arose from today's source, Fatal Vision by Joe McGinnis. See, McGinnis was hired to write a book exonerating Jeffrey McDonald of all criminal wrongdoing. Uh-oh. But as time went on, it became glaringly obvious to McGinnis that McDonald was guilty. So McGinnis instead wrote the most extensive account of a family annihilator ever written, exquisitely detailing the murders, the investigations, the trial, and the years in between that led to McDonald's conviction. And that guy, the one thing about this piece of shit, Jeffrey McDonald, is that he sticks to his bad story by the letter every single time. I mean, and I saw he was on fucking a full-on true crime documentary about himself. He was a talking head on his own murder <laughs> fucking documentary. He was on Larry King live yeah. saying the same same dumb horrible story. Yeah. Again and again and again, but I guess that's how you do it. You have to stick to it. Yeah. That is that is the one thing that that's probably why he got away with it for so long. Not that long. I mean, I don't know what he's trying to get at this point, but I also don't know what he's trying to lose because he's now, you know, spoiler alert, life in prison, no parole. Oh, yeah. Like, there's there's nothing to gain here for him to stick to the story. Yeah. It's his own brain. That's great. These evil fucks won't die. No. It's the craziest thing. The eviler you are, the longer you live. (laughs) It's everybody who feels everything that gets fucking ground up in the goddamn machine. Mm -hmm. Now, to put it simply, Jeffrey McDonald was a dick. Born in Queens in 1943. Jamaica. uh, That was where I was born. You were born in Jamaica, Queens. Yes. Ah, My wife was born. Caroline was born in Jackson Heights. That's my city. I got lost there when I missed the train once. That was a nightmare. (laughs) It's bad. Lots of places you could buy a live chicken. I remember that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was always always baffled and excited throughout the years living in New York. Just like when you turn a corner and you're like, wow, I can buy a live chicken here. Didn't know. Why was it more expensive than a cooked chicken? Because, (laughs) seriously, you want to know why? Because the chickens, it's more tasty when it's alive. Mm -hmm. As soon as you fucking kill it, then you eat it immediately. That's one thing. Also, like, you can have it for the eggs, right? So that's a business venture. Okay. You know, now you've become a dairy farm for some reason in a fucking railroad apartment in the middle of Brooklyn. But I was just in Tampa, and it was the same thing all night long with the roosters. They're everywhere. Like, oh, and God. I mean it. They don't just do it in the morning, man. It's up forever. They do it all fucking night. All night, all yeah. day. You got to, you know, give them sleeping pills out your window. No, those are for me. <laughs> well, Jeffrey was a born narcissist. He was charming superficially, but once someone got close, Jeffrey would ruin relationships by getting into fights with anyone who didn't do things Jeffrey's way. Now, his home life growing up wasn't necessarily traumatic, but it was definitely strained and without a doubt, 
toxic. His father was a domineering, terrifying man who was so obsessed with masculinity that he wouldn't even touch or hug his children out of a fear that expressing love of any kind might be seen as feminine or worse for him, gay. And I find it really funny because... Eddie had a very similar growing up fashion, right? But it just allowed him to then take his own wife's name in the yeah. wedding ceremony. So it actually, he failed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my dad did a hug, you know, but he bought me shit sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that's different. That's all, my, that's all they do. Well, this attitude of extremely insecure, toxic masculinity was passed on to Jeffrey McDonald. And like many men who feel like they have to constantly prove that they're a man's man, McDonald would often boast about his sexual encounters going all the way back to childhood. Wow, just like John Holmes. Mm-hmm. Why, why are they all thinking it's so cool to fuck as a, as a boy? They, I don't know, because it, they think, they. I think it makes them think that like, I've been a man before I was a man. Yeah, yeah. like I'm a Lothario. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, I would write poetry. Hmm. As, would, poetry. as would I. Yeah, and I had my little beret. You wrote, oh. you wrote poetry and had a beret as a child? Yeah, I had so much. It was worth so much more than sex. It was romance and drama. Oh, <laughs> interesting. Yeah. I smoked weed. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) See, before McGinnis switched the perspective of his book from possibly innocent to definitely guilty, he had a long correspondence with Jeffrey McDonald in which Jeffrey bragged and obsessed over his coxmanship, Mm. going into full detail about every sexual experience that made him look like a sexual dynamo. You ever do 69 when you're six and nine? (laughs) (laughs) Tellingly, though, the woman he chose for his wife, Colette Stevenson, was not sexually adventurous nor sexually driven in any way whatsoever. In fact, it seemed as if sex terrified Colette. And from the moment she and Jeffrey began dating, a long history of cheating began that did not end until Colette was dead and was therefore no longer in a position to be cheated on. Yeah. Where do you get this information? From Jeffrey. Yes, this, this is was from This him. was specifically from Jeff. This was yeah. from Jeffrey's letters to Joe McGinnis. I guess that makes sense. I was reading his Wikipedia page. It was like in ninth grade, he dated so so. I was like, what the fuck? It's because he did nothing but not shut his fucking yapper. Yeah. Like all he did was talk about himself and his crimes and all this shit over and over and over and over again. Well, he mm-hmm. talked about not doing his crimes. Yes. Yes. That's the thing. He he con- he constantly talks about his story. But yeah, it was like the guy, Joe McGinnis is saying it's just like page after page after page of sexual conquests and obs- obsessing over how sexually competent he was. Also, you could see similarities in, I don't know if we'll ever cover it just because one day maybe, the Chris Watts story, right? Where you could see how, again, the whole kickoff to him killing his entire family was because he met a new chick and he wanted to move on with a quote unquote clean slate. Yeah. And in that, like a lot of people obviously kind of in many ways, you think about that, like why? Like what? Like it, it's that's where the weird like his like mental illness like comes in. That's what the glibness of psychopathy means, where every decision is basically weighed exactly the same. Instead of thinking, he did not think of killing his family as this crazy traumatic thing. He viewed it as a problem-solving mechanism that can just be done, and then I just move on to this new life. As if you were not even thinking that that would be like, traumatic to himself because this person does not feel anything. Yeah. And even then, I think that's given him a little bit of, a little bit more credit than sure. he deserves, as we'll soon get into. Oh, yes. But as far as why Jeffrey chose Colette as his wife, he actually liked a shy, timid woman who lacked self-confidence because if she relied on him completely, he could easily feed the toxic masculinity complex that was passed down from his father. 
But all throughout Jeffrey's correspondence with Joe McGinnis, Jeffrey made sure to say again and again how in love he and his wife were. Oh, yeah, we were popping off. <laughs> but <laughs> That's these, true. But these proclamations were always in the superficial context of how passionate their lovemaking was, how they loved each other so much that they do it in public, how they couldn't oh. keep their hands off each other, and so on and so forth. It was never about who she was, why he loved her, nothing like that. You know how many times a day I lose my wedding ring and that little coin holder inside the jeans. I'm always in there. <laughs> At the same time, though, Jeffrey actively made fun of his wife in his correspondence with Joe McGinnis. And this was while Jeffrey was claiming to be a grieving widower still searching for the quote-unquote real killers. He wrote, quote, She's left-handed, you know, and so she was, you know, she had this, like, funny-looking shot in the basketball court or whatever, and she could dribble only kind of intermittently well, like sometimes with both hands. Dumb, right? <laughs> like she's very feminine, pretty, yeah. And so it's distressing to see her with the hair, you know, a little scraggly and sweating and grunting and complaining about the pain and the. <laughs> it's a fucking I mean, direct quote. <laughs> direct fucking quote. It's so crazy. That's clearly one toxic Irishman thinking he's talking to another one. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, is that like that's just yeah. called like if sports bar was a flavor? You know? yeah, yeah, like to make it funny your wife for not like being able to play basketball is like make it funny your wife for her not being able to like nail an offense post. <laughs> Where's your shoulders? Yeah, yeah. Where's your shoulders in all this fucking bullshit? You need that crossbody strength. <laughs> she could barely kick a field goal. <laughs> All of that supposedly passionate sex eventually resulted in a pregnancy out of wedlock, which quickly gave rise to a marriage in September of 1963. Mm. Remembering the birth of his first child, Jeffrey wrote, quote, The baby, quite honestly, to me, she didn't look very pretty. Everyone kept saying what a pretty baby Kimmy was. I mean, she was cute. Yeah, but she wasn't like, you know, like an elegant looking baby. <laughs> That's quote. That is not a joke for me. What's funny is that like it's not until I finally hear you say it in the accent that I see how fucking queens this guy. I yeah, really yeah, like yeah. the word like elegant looking elegant baby. Looking like that's baby. such a fucking queen's way of putting it. Well, because you know what? It, and also it's certain words intermittently. It's a, it sounds like gangsters that got dictionaries in jail that have been reading law books that have to kind of figure out how to communicate legally. Oh, man. How do you make a baby look elegant? You just cover it in caviar? Honestly. <laughs> Ooh. Excellent. Ooh, beluga. Well, Jeffrey was already pre-med, and he enrolled in Northwestern Medical School following the wedding. Another baby, Kristen, came in 1967, but soon after, Jeffrey suddenly decided that he wanted to join the Army and the Green Berets specifically so he could fulfill his patriotic duty fighting the godless communists in Vietnam. The godless communists. <laughs> um, you know what's funny? I found his high school quote. What was it? Jeffrey Robert MacDonald. He's full of fun. Plus noise and vim, there's really no one quite like him. <laughs> That's why he wanted to be a Green Beret. Yeah, <laughs> yeah all Green Berets are filled with vim. Vim. I think vim is like, yeah, that's what that's what got Osama bin Laden. So he <laughs> so he fought in Nam? No. Oh, he didn't okay. make it. We'll get to that here in a second. Okay. See, Jeffrey felt that it was an American's duty to unquestionably obey the president. And he further felt that Congress was filled with left-wing liberals who didn't have the sense to see what the real patriots already understood. <laughs> Vietnam needed to be defended or else all of Southeast Asia would fall to the red menace. 
You you can't even imagine the horrors of a Russian Vietnam. <laughs> Beats being put into goddamn spring rolls. <laughs> Can you even fucking imagine? I can't it. I get so mad thinking about Vietnam. Now, Colette didn't want to be an army wife at all, nor did she relish the thought of her husband becoming a participant in a potentially deadly shooting war, <laughs> even if he was going in as a surgeon. Jeffrey, however, found a way to shallowly attach his decision to join the Green Berets to sex, saying that he didn't mind the idea going into the service because Colette didn't have sex with him enough anyway. I can't even imagine going. Did you want to go be a professional killer because you're not getting laid? Yeah, or he said it didn't matter. Like, no, I, yeah. like I don't need a what? What do I need a wife around for? She's not fucking me anyway. But in the end, Jeffrey did not go to Vietnam. Instead, he was assigned to Fort Bragg in North Carolina, outside of Fayetteville. Thank you. That's oh. Fayetteville. <laughs> I got stuck in Fayetteville once. How? Oh. Uh, I was on a Greyhound bus, and the, the thing stopped moving, and we were in Fayetteville for like a day and a half, and I was just walking around. I was on my way from Tallahassee to New Jersey. Someone thought I was Jesus. That's, <laughs> that's literally the worst bus ride I've ever heard. <laughs> Tallahassee to Jersey. Atlantic City of all places. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Oh. Oh. Here inside a home at 554 Castle Drive, Jeffrey's five-year-old daughter and two-year-old toddler would meet their grisly ends along with his pregnant wife. Mm. Now, as far as motive goes for annihilating his family, it's kind of hard to pinpoint exactly what Jeffrey McDonald was thinking. They're fucking with my money. <laughs> <laughs> it was obvious from his constant cheating that he didn't want to be tethered to a family. And it's often the case that a man who kills everyone who depends on him is looking for a clean slate. You don't get one, though. Yeah. Slate yeah. is then dirtied. Yes. Yes. However, it is very possible that McDonald turned a mere fantasy of freedom into a gruesome reality during a split-second decision amidst an amphetamine-fueled rage. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't know. It's a pretty extensive murder. And it took a lot. We'll, you know, we'll get into more of the details of it. But it took a long time. I, I, have, I have my theories. I yeah. definitely have my theories uh, as far as why I do believe that it was amphetamine fueled and why it was, yeah, a, I was it not, was a fantasy very suddenly come to life. Yeah, man. It wasn't chamomile fueled. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it wasn't like, oh, we're watching Murder, She Wrote fueled. Yeah. yeah. See, Jeffrey McDonald wrote in a diary in early 1970 that he'd been taking a diet pill called Escatrol to lose weight. Man, it all starts with being skinny. Mm -hmm. yeah, sounds well, he, like snails. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't that he wanted to be skinny. It's that he wanted to drop weight because he was a boxer at the time or something like that. He's trying to drop weight to make it down to the lower weight class. Oh. I think that's what it was. He had a lot of different explanations for why he was taking an extremely dangerous uh, fucking diet pill. Because as opposed to other diet pills that were straight methamphetamines, Escatrol included both dextroamphetamine and prochlorpyrazine. Yep. Prochlorpyrazine. Can we just say jump juice? These <laughs> fucking scientists showing off with the names of their medicines. They just you know, say whatever. Like college, college. Oh. Yeah, yeah, jump juice. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. No, this, no, the, the prochlorpyrazine, that, was, that wasn't jump juice. That was a, uh, that was a down drop. Oh. oh, yeah, because the first is basically speed, which is what almost all diet pills were back then. Yeah. But that second ingredient, that was an antipsychotic. That should have oh. helped. Yeah, it didn't work. Wait in a second. There was an antipsychotic in a diet medication? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Now, but, you know, go crazy for losing weight. <laughs> God, no, you're crazy before. Yeah. 
Now, by 1980, studies had proven that Escatrol was an incredibly dangerous drug that functioned as both an upper and a downer because it contained both an amphetamine and an antipsychotic. Yeah, that's it. It makes it's you feel normal. It yeah. makes you feel normal. <laughs> you know, you're normal, you take it, you're still normal, okay, everything's fine. You gotta get right in the middle. <laughs> I'm somewhere between fucking getting skinny and feeling like I'm made of actual flames. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, of course, created dangerous dangerously unstable individuals. Yeah. It was so dangerous that its manufacturer took it off the market in 1980, even though it was making a profit of $6 million a year, which is incredible when you consider that you can still be prescribed oxy in this country. Oh my God. <laughs> it's fucking insane. They used to, all kinds of shit is on the market, back, especially back then. I remember I used to take this stuff called Androstein. <laughs> which uh, which was you was, as a kid? Well, didn't your dad like? Because you did like it's not steroids. That's but you what did, this is. Yeah. It was like it was. It turned out it was steroids. And, like they <laughs> like took it off the market, but like not before like. Like you go to GNC, like, oh, we're taking it off the market. You better buy it all now. <laughs> you know, and so we had it all because it was like legal, you know. So I'm like Jeez. taking fucking. Meanwhile, Mark McGuire is the spokesman, you know. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, yeah, yeah, and I'm yeah. out on the football field taking handfuls of grass and putting them in my mouth. That's what keeps you normal. Also, apparently, I'm looking this up right here. Jimmy Buffett talks about Escatrol and his song called Fool Button. Ooh. Right, and I guess apparently he, that the 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 tone is is that if you mix it with a bottle of rum, it's gonna make you act foolishly to have a good time. Sure, <laughs> <God>. <laughs> Jimmy Buffett became a billionaire off of being lazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> after like <laughs> creating toxic stepfather culture, being afraid of a man that's in your house half the week. <laughs> no, at best, Escatrol caused insomnia, restlessness, nervousness, and dizziness. But in several studies, it was proved that in large doses, Escatrol could cause psychosis and insanity. Oh cool. See, the recommended dosage of Escatrol was one pill a day. But as far as Jeffrey McDonald's consumption went, he was taking three to five Escatrol pills oh. a day in the weeks leading up to his family's murder. You don't think that hurt his belly? Hmm? <laughs> that would hurt, hurt my belly. Hurt your belly? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess he's not eating. Yeah. So I guess, I guess there's nothing in there to hurt his belly. Yeah, yeah. that's no. nice. They should have got a tip off when he was drawing little horns on himself in the mirror. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there I am. This was, of course, possible because Jeffrey was a doctor who could prescribe these pills to himself. That's oh. important, I think, for the audience to understand. This man is a doctor. He's a surgeon, specifically. He's a surgeon. I know I've known a lot of crazy surgeons. We've covered a lot of crazy doctors because yeah. sometimes I think to do the job, right, in many ways, you have to kind of look at us like walking hunks of meat, right? Yeah. You got to view us as just a pile of tubes. Yeah. And you got to pick out, you got to, you got to clean out the tubes. You got to fucking get our juice out of us. All the fucking bullshit. They don't give a shit. Sometimes. Yeah, because if you care, you might fuck up. Yes, you'll be emotional. Course. You mm -hmm. got to have zero emotion. That's why they all think they're gods. That's right. I got doctors in my family and, you know, they are gods. Yeah. <laughs> they pay for everything. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Daddy. No, three to five pills a day. Jeffrey would have likely suffered from irritability, hyperactivity, confusion, mm. hallucinations, panic states, assaultiveness, and okay. finally, full psychosis. Oh, my God. It's his incredible improv rap skills. <laughs> <laughs> and all this checks out because peers and neighbors noticed during those few weeks that he would work 24-hour shifts followed by full days at the office. Then he'd clock out, go and play basketball for a little while, <laughs> and then take his little girls out to feed their pony, all without resting or sleeping or stopping. Feeling great! 
Hey, guys, no one ain't here. Yo, it's fucked up. This pony doesn't even want to play a horse with me. That's hilarious. All right, guys. Let's go, go. Everybody wake up. It's Christmas is early. Come on. Imagine buying a pony for someone and then murdering them. (laughs) I think that's like a Murdoch family (laughs) story. In addition, Jeffrey would have shown abnormal cardiovascular reactions like chillness and headaches. And these symptoms were both clearly exhibited when Jeffrey was examined by doctors on the night of the murders. And considering how Jeffrey murdered his family seemingly on a whim, maybe, maybe, it's safe to say that Jeffrey was most likely suffering from something called chronic amphetamine psychosis. Oh my God. In other words, he turned himself into a dangerous and reactive meth head. But he did lose 15 pounds in three weeks. There you go. Wow. He's going to be incredible for the family reunion. (laughs) (laughs) This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents' accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse picks over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest, and I guess I can share it here. I I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine, and it's an addiction. It's a daily weight on my life. How much I need whipped egg whites and oil crammed into my veins. As soon as I wake up, and a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors, big and small. Some people are presidents. Some people are soldiers. Some people have to eat mayonnaise, especially with hard-boiled eggs, which is what I eat for lunch. But I guess I should share that in therapy. Because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over. I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp! 
H-E-L-P dot com slash last pod. Hi, did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. That's one of my favorite things about it. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. Now, personally, I'm in the middle of re-landscaping my yard. I like to do it myself because I called up a landscaper to see how much it costs and it was absolutely insane. Plus, I love dirt. I love getting my hands in the dirt and I love planting things myself. And Fast Growing Trees has given me some wonderful plants that I can use. Like I got this uh, Texas sage, it's purple. I've dug up a whole bunch of horrible bushes and shrubs up in front of my window and in front of my house and put some purple Texas sage up there and it's going to thrive and it's going to look real good. And I didn't even have to go to a nursery to buy it. It came to my house. Now, this spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEFT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code LEFT at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code LEFT. Offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Now, as opposed to Jeffrey's annihilation of his family being a carefully thought out plot to rid himself of dependence, it's more likely that Jeffrey had what psychopharmacologists call a rage reaction towards his wife. And once she was dead, it was M for a penny, M for a pound when it came to his children. I mean, because then you, how many family annihilators have we've talked about this? I want to save them from the embarrassment of my crimes. Mm. You hear that a lot. Like being like, I don't want them to deal with what I did to everything else. Or just like, it's a lot of times because we see with family annihilators, there is a money faction, especially with the men who do it. Where like the idea of a a change in status. And it's always about like, yeah, I don't want ever. It's so embarrassing to be poor. I got to kill fucking everybody. (laughs) (laughs) It's fucked up, man. In addition to the two young daughters, Colette was pregnant again, Uh, accidentally, which had, of course, added to McDonald's stress level. No way. (laughs) Jeffrey, meanwhile, was full on manic, according to his colleagues. And Colette was worried enough to tell her friends that Jeffrey's personality was significantly changing. You guys want to come see me do crunches? (laughs) Come on, come on, get the family up. I know it's four o'clock in the goddamn morning. It's exercise time. How many crunches can you do? (laughs) Finally, though, Jeffrey's personality changed from a simple narcissist to that of a total psychopath, and his amphetamine-fueled rage exploded around 3.40 a.m. on February 17th, 1970. Take it back. Take Take it it back. back. Wow. That's early. (laughs) Got up early, yeah. (laughs) Or is it late? late. One or the Hmm. other. Now, on the night in question, a 911 dispatcher received a call from Jeffrey, who weakly and performatively said, quote, Is this 911? Is it? Yes. 554 Castle Drive. Help. Help. 554 Castle Drive. Stabbing. That's all. Is Henry okay? 
<laughs> I'm just that good. <laughs> Since the McDonald's lived within Fort Bragg, it was the military police who showed up at their house. And within 10 minutes, a dozen MPs arrived to find the front door locked and the blinds drawn on a dead silent home. Things look safe here. <laughs> Let's go back. <laughs> they soon discovered, however, that the back door was open. And upon entering the house, they found a crime scene that would have put Richard Chase to shame. They first found Jeffrey's white Colette laying on her back on the floor in the master bedroom. One eye was open, one arm was extended over her head, her face was battered, and she was covered in blood. Draped over part of her chest was a torn and blood-stained blue pajama top. But once the top was lifted, the MP saw the full extent of what had been done. Colette had been stabbed nine times in the neck seven times in the chest with a knife, and 21 times in the chest with an ice pick. She'd been hit in the head with a wooden club of some sort six times, but not before both of her arms had been broken while trying to defend herself from the blows. And normally when you see something like that, you assume, I mean, truly, like, it's a rage. This is a rage-based crime. Mm Mm-hmm. But as a final indignity, and in service of the narrative that Jeffrey planned on pushing, the fetus in Colette's womb had been removed. Ah, yeah, it's, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Leave but, it in. No, <laughs> just leave it in for leave what? Like uh, but no, because again, it's it's him setting his story. Yes, he's setting a scene here. He's uh. telling a story. But before Colette's injuries were fully assessed, MPs had to roll off Jeffrey McDonald himself. He was found face down on Colette's chest with an arm wrapped around her neck, motionless, and wearing blue pajama. Bottoms. Okay, okay, okay. Next to the couple on the blood-soaked rug was a small paring knife. But the most interesting clue in regards to the future narrative was a single word written in letters eight inches high in blood on the headboard. Pig. And you could see it first. They're like, is that pug? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, is this a puppy-based crime? (laughs) Hold on, does this guy hate cops? (laughs) That I mean, again, so uh, worst... Worst way to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Now, before all that could be processed, Jeffrey began moaning that someone needed to check on his kids because he'd heard them crying. That, of course, was when the true horror was discovered. Stepping into five-year-old Kimberly's room, an MP found that the little girl lay dead from having her skull bashed in by the same club that had broken her mother's arms. That, however, wasn't the end of it because Jeffrey either wanted his story to be credible or he was in the throes of the aforementioned psychotic rage. Mm, this is, again, we'll, we'll kind of go back and forth on this because prolonged rage, I, as far as I don't know, like, I don't know how that happens. How long does an episode like this last? At mm-hmm. what point does some form of rationality come in and then, like, you have to sort of, like, figure out a plan in the middle or is it at the end? I actually do. I have a theory as to the exact point in which it changed from rage to plan. Okay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It has to at some point. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. See, after Kimberly had been smashed in the head so severely as to cause instant death, thankfully, she was additionally stabbed in the neck several times with the ice pick, with some of the stabs being so deep that they went all the way through to the other side. The last to check on was the two-year-old, Kirsten, and the scene in her room she was... was fine. <laughs> she was fine. <laughs> Holding a knife and a machine gun. Yeah. No, no less horrific. Uh, Rather than being beaten, she'd been stabbed 16 times with both a paring knife found on the bloody rug in the master bedroom and with the ice pick. 
but in this room was another clue, although this one was real and not staged, since there was obviously more blood than you can even imagine in every room. There was a single bloody footprint made by an adult. The footprint, however, was bare, making it easily matched to whoever had been in that room. Meanwhile, as each grisly scene was being discovered, Jeffrey was speaking to the MPs back in the bedroom. See, Jeffrey had already implemented the first part of his plan by writing pig in blood on his own headboard. Yeah, because, you know, this is what 1970. So the, the Manson crimes happened in 1969. So you, it's immediately a reference that everybody it's like kind of understands, which is in a way, I mean, that makes it a bad plan because mm-hmm. he's he's uh, he's Carlos Mencia in <laughs> another group murder. I, I wrote pig on my headboard just so I know where to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking piece of fucking shit. Well, of course, yeah. For those of you versed in true crime lore, this is an obvious reference to the Manson family murders. Specifically, it referenced the crime scene at Sharon Tate's home in which the exact same word was written in the exact same spot. But now that the pig graffiti had been noticed and Jeffrey was quote-unquote coming to my memory (laughs) (laughs) he weakly and again performatively said that his family had been attacked by four hippies yeah and one of them a woman kept chanting two phrases over and over again acid is groovy kill the pigs acid is groovy kill the pigs over and over and over acid is groovy Kill the pigs. All right, put a beat on there. Acid is groovy. <laughs> Kill the pigs. Kill the pigs. Acid is groovy. <laughs> but Kill the pigs. But we've done a lot of acid. Yeah. I've never been in the... I mean, I guess I've done that, but I've never really been that way, I guess, on like hallucinogens where you sit there and be like, meh, this is groovy. Like, I've never had that. I know the, one, the first time I did acid, I was sitting in the front porch of my buddy's house. It was like my birthday. Mm-hmm. It was like, I think I was 20 years old or whatever. And I remember sitting there and we were both looking at each other and I was like, I finally understand tie-dye. <laughs> <laughs> like, it makes sense. And there's been plenty of times when I've been on hallucinogens and just suddenly thought like, man, I'm having a really good time right now. <laughs> like, like, isn't this, if I if this isn't nice, I don't know what is. Yeah. Kurt Vonnegut. Yes, that's right. <laughs> You know, last time I said uh, acid is groovy, kill the pigs, I was at a barbecue festival. Yeah, you got it. (laughs) Incredibly, Jeffrey sticks to this idiotic claim to this day. Because, I mean, even by 1970, like fucking nobody said the word groovy anymore. Like outside of like Scooby-Doo. Yeah. Nobody said groovy. It was like saying trill. Yeah. Now. Nobody says trill now. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Ash said groovy. That was cool. Yeah, that's cool. But that was... 30 years later. That's right. Yeah, yeah, and that was 30 years ago. Mm. Actually, I think it was 20 years later and 30 years ago. Jesus fucking Christ. Hell yeah, man. That's a lot of fun to think about. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> and yet, groovy was the word Jeffrey chose again and again in relation to his attacker's vocabulary. After, quote unquote, passing out for a second, prompting an MP to give Jeffrey mouth to mouth, he very quickly tried pushing his way past, saying that he had to go check on his kids. <laughs> I was just full on kissing this military police officer. Oh, I'm sorry. I was. I was in. I should have been in character. Yeah, you should do a couple more on me. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever tried to do mouth to dick? <laughs> but when he stood up, he looked down at Colette's body and set down the next plank of his story. He said, "Quote: Jesus Christ, look at my wife." I'm going to kill these goddamn acid heads. I don't know why in the hell I fuck with them. I'm not going to help them anymore. 
What? No, yeah, no, no idea. He's setting a scene. Mm-hmm. He's planting seeds. You hearing me? <laughs> <laughs> no one's writing this down. <laughs> now, after somewhat composing himself, Jeffrey said that there were four intruders. Two white guys, a black guy, and a white woman with long blonde hair wearing a floppy hat and high boots <laughs> holding a candle. Holding a candle. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, he's got to get that cult angle in there. Yeah, they're he's crazy. Get, yeah, he's got to make it spooky. All of them, though, were wearing distinctively hippie-style clothing. You know how it is. It's like macrame, a lot of tassels. Mm -hmm. You know, one of them says, I saw the top of a butt. And it's just like, (laughs) you wouldn't believe. But I love his cast of characters, though. Yeah. Because it is the Scooby gang. Yeah. And also, in every one of them, I was watching all the documentaries about this, and they always picture, like, the menacing woman in the floppy hat yeah. <laughs> that is just there just looking like Shelly Duvall yeah. from an Altman film if he would have had one in the wheelchair it would have been like the Burger King Kids Club yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that wheels he cannot be trusted but the best part about him if you need him to leave you just take the handles and you push him down the stairs <laughs> he well, was scary <laughs> well after performing a bit more by saying that he'd been stabbed in the back and was going into shock and after giving the MPs a quick lesson on how to care for someone going into shock which is, which is an incredible feat if you're actually going into shock <laughs> Jeffrey was put on a stretcher <laughs> and carried to an ambulance I just got him he's like I, well you, he was actually like no 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 Lift my legs. Lift, Lift my, my legs. legs. I'm going to swallow my tongue. I'm going to yeah. swallow my tongue. I'm going to swallow my tongue. You're not doing it right. Hold on. What comes next? <laughs> <laughs> well, there in the ambulance, he kept talking, saying that the woman with the long blonde hair cheered the action during the brave struggle that Jeffrey had with his assailants. She kept saying, Groovy, hit him again. Jeffrey then broke off from the story and performed once again, switching the focus to his murdered wife by saying, My God, she was pregnant? <laughs> now, Jeffrey. So kept- he didn't know she was pregnant? No, yeah, it, was, no it was Henry. Ver- he was at, well, he was saying, he was saying, like, My God, she he was pregnant! I'm doing it acting as if he knows he's a bad actor <laughs> setting up his crime at the time, but I don't think it was that much better. No. Because they, you know, they didn't necessarily trust him immediately. Uh, Nor do they believe him. No. Because mm, fucking none of it made sense. Yeah, how are hippies going to fucking sneak onto an army base? Well, yeah, that's actually, that's an interesting thing about that. To give you a little bit of background on Fort Bragg, like Fort Bragg is an unrestricted base. It has a four-lane highway going right through it. Oh, that's true. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it has 30 points of entry. So, like, there's no, yeah. Anybody can go in. Anybody can go into Fort Bragg. Yeah. Sounds like a shitty base. You know what? I think it is. I know. (laughs) It's a front-facing base, right? I don't know. I don't know how that works. Yeah. I mean, it's open to the public, uh, but it it is the largest military base in America, though. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, Jeffrey kept telling everyone that he was going into shock, that he'd been stabbed in the back, that he needed fluids, and so on and so forth. But when he got to the emergency room, the only thing that Jeffrey, a Green Beret, the only thing he needed medical attention for was a small wound on his right side that had barely punctured his lung. Ah, that's enough. Yeah. yeah. You heard like a, huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got it right there. Fucking fixed with super glue and shit. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Nothing required stitches. Yeah. Oh, my God. This is, of course, in great contrast to the near demonic slayings of the rest of his family. Yeah, they were all brutally murdered. Yeah. Yeah. Other- and he's a doctor, so yeah. he knows exactly where to stab himself. 
Yes, so, I he, guess he does. He must. We'll go. Yeah. We'll go into that later. Okay. Uh, well, hell, we'll go into it right now because you know this guy fucking did it. Might as well not even. I don't even need to keep you in suspense. Yeah, yeah, they know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, when they uh, checked out the blood spatter in each room, they went to one of the bathrooms and they saw that the blood spatter pattern could have only come from a man leaning over the counter and puncturing himself on the right side of his chest with a scalpel. I don't want to stain the rug. Yeah. 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 There was a, it's also like a magic marker circle around it. So I <laughs> yeah. know exactly where to go. <laughs> well, otherwise Jeffrey had a bump on the noggin that didn't even break the skin as opposed to the head bashing beatings received by his wife and eldest daughter. And none of the other quote unquote wounds he suffered even required stitches. Those wounds, by the way, were four punctures along a linear track spaced evenly as if someone had dug their fingernails into his chest. Ah. And most likely that ripped flesh was under someone's fingernails back at the house. Now, the next day, U.S. Army CID agents and and FBI agents arrived to interview McDonald. As opposed to the emotional ranting of the night before, Jeffrey had barely a hint of emotion when talking about his wife and eldest child, but he refused to talk about the toddler. Okay. The reason behind this, I think, is most likely that he killed his wife in a rage. That woke up the five-year-old daughter who walked in the room. She also had to be murdered to cover up the crime while the rage was still at a high level. Yeah. But to completely cover all his bases and to back up his psycho hippie story, Jeffrey had to cold-bloodedly murder his two-year-old daughter in her crib, then mutilate the body afterwards. Most likely, Jeffrey did this after he somewhat calmed down from his initial rage reaction and had at least the presence of mind to synthesize a story. So it's fight with the wife, boom, go out back, grab the wood, bam, 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 beat her to death. Daughter comes out, hit her in the head once, and she's fucking dead. She's fucking gone. And then finally you're like, oh, fuck, what did I do? And then you have to construct a crime scene. And then that's when the fantasy kicks over and says, oh, fuck, what I, have I done? Oh, well, that, well, I don't but, know if it's what have I done. No, exactly. That, what I was about to say, it's, oh, fuck, I can get out of this completely. Like, if I get, I can totally get rid of all this. Like, I don't want to be a fucking single father. I don't want to take care of a fucking toddler. I've already killed two people. What's one more? But killing a toddler, killing your own daughter. Yeah. That's not going to be something you want to talk about, even if you're a psychopath. It's stressful. We've had a lot of guys. <laughs> we've had a lot of guys who do this. Yeah, they save something for themselves because, in some way, in cheap, you know, Bundy, Ted Bundy, Bun- Dead Bundy, because of his first crimes. Right? They always said like maybe he probably hurt, or at least if not hurt, or killed a little girl when he was like very young. And there's something about like saving something for yourself, and I guess. You could call it, you know, no no armchair diagnosis here, but it does sound like what it, someone with some form of narcissism, one of these kind of things, where you wall these things off inside of your own mind so you could keep kind of like your own quote-unquote sanity. Yeah. Because, you know, again, he didn't have to. Like, if he was, quote, he didn't have to kill his whole family. He definitely could have killed his wife or whatever and then have freaked out. And then, you know, you confess and you figure out all this shit. Like, if he was actually guilty, this shows what the actual the glibness of the thought process was, is that that was just another fairly perfunctory decision he decided to make. Mm -hmm. Probably would have looked better if he kept the toddler alive. Mm. I don't know. I, I, no, 
No. It's all bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not good. <laughs> but during this interview, Jeffrey had his story a little straighter, and he was able to give his account of what happened the night before. He claimed that he was sleeping on the couch that night because his daughter had wet her bed, and she was therefore taking his place in his marriage bed with his wife. Quite suddenly, though, Jeffrey was awakened by the cries of his wife and child. And when Jeffrey opened his eyes, he said he saw four people, a black guy in an army jacket, two white guys, one clean shaven, one mustachioed. Not me! And the aforementioned floppy-hatted blonde with the candle. It's just, I, I wonder if he decided the cast beforehand. I wonder if he thought of actors. Yeah, he might have. I wonder if or it, maybe they, just, was it the A-team? <laughs> <laughs> they were all wet because it had been raining that night. And one of them, Jeffrey thought, one of the white guys, may have been wearing surgical gloves. Now, as Jeffrey tried getting up, he said that the black guy hit him with a baseball bat, which was already covered in blood from previous beatings. Jeffrey struggled, but was suddenly stabbed with an ice pick, which ever so slightly punctured his lung. God, after, yeah, they brutally murdered three other people. They're just going to go, dink, dink. It would have probably felt good for him to beat the shit out of himself, too. He really should have went for it. Yeah, he should have. Yes. Yeah, the struggle, however, continued. But as Jeffrey tried making his way towards the two steps that led up from the living room to the hallway, he claimed to have fallen forward and passed out from a bump on the head that didn't even break the skin. I was rattled. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, I'm pretty certain that one of those guys left behind a banana peel. Come on, <laughs> come on, cops. You gotta laugh sometimes. But when he came to, his blue pajama top, which was now torn, had been removed and used to tie his hands, and the intruders were gone. Apparently, the psycho hippies were happy to simply leave the unconscious pig with a bump on the head and a single shallow stab wound, whereas the housewife and the children had been butchered to the nth degree. Jeffrey claimed that he then went from room to room, checking pulses and administering mouth to mouth on each corpse. After realizing that everyone was dead, he pulled the knife from Colette's chest, covered her with his torn pajama top, and went to the back door to see if the intruders were still there. And would you believe it? I go out in the backyard, and it was the four of them. Then I saw the mamas and the papas. <laughs> they were all hanging out, some reason, doing hookah. And I was just like, what is happening here? But the next thing I know, we're singing. We're hanging out, you know. <laughs> there was a little bit of a grill out next, and then I was like, "Oh yeah, my fucking family." <laughs> there was just so much going on that night, 1970. You had to be there to believe. <laughs> well, he then went to the hall bathroom to assess his injuries before calling for help. Then laid down next to his wife's corpse and waited for that help to arrive. That he claimed was all he knew. Now, the first investigator on the scene the night before, after Jeffrey was taken away, was a man named William Ivory. After examining the house, Ivory canvassed the neighbors, who said they didn't hear anything that sounded like a fight, a break-in, or any disturbance at all. They definitely didn't hear a hippie yelling, Acid is groovy, man! Kill the pigs! Nothing. Next, Fort Bragg's chief law enforcement officer, Franz Joseph Grebner. Wait a second, why would they be yelling it? Why would they be yelling, yeah, acid is groovy, yeah, kill the pigs? Acid is groovy, kill, kill the pigs. pigs. Yeah. Acid is groovy, kill the pigs. I think it's way more like, ha, 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 
Next, Fort Bragg's chief law enforcement officer, Franz Joseph Grebner, arrived at the house and immediately recognized that nothing about the scene matched McDonald's story. As he put it, he'd been in poker games that had left the house in worse conditions. <laughs> oh, that's pretty. That's a great <laughs> analogy. Yeah, worse than really a family is. annihilation? <laughs> <laughs> As Grebner's thinking went, this scene was supposed to be a life and death struggle between four intruders and a Green Beret officer. Yeah, it should have been destroyed. It should have been like a Jackie Chan movie in there. There should have been broken furniture and a guy through a glass, (laughs) like the fucking window. There'd have to be guys fighting with pots and pans and shit. I'm surprised he did it like this because it would make him look like such a pussy. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but that's, you see, there's, I forgot what the term is. There's something about that, but that you use that. There's a way to inspire legitimacy where you admit something embarrassing about yourself, quote unquote. Yes. Yeah. And then you can allow them. It's like the tiny penis clause. There's yeah. something like that where it's like, I forgot the example where it's like, if you admit to having a super small dick, like maybe it shows that you're hyper, you're crazy honest. Yeah. And mm-hmm. like when a violent criminal shows up to court with like a walker. You know, yeah. and they yeah, like, yeah, pretend yeah. they're really sick and shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yet the living room was curiously tidy considering the circumstances. A coffee table had been tipped on its side next to the couch, resting on a stack of magazines. An empty flower pot stood upright on the floor because one of the MPs had stupidly put it back into its original position. But the plant had spilled out beside it. Hmm. And finally, a pair of glasses with a speck of blood on the lens was in the corner of the room. It's got one white glove. I do see there's a bit of a smudge <laughs> on the island. <laughs> and that just showed up to a crime scene and be like, oh, we should tidy up. <laughs> you know, this, is, this place is a mess. You're not going to believe what these fucking idiotic MPs did. Well, You're think- not going to believe. We're going to get to it. Because, mm-hmm. like, you know, it happened on the base. Mm-hmm. There's a way to do a crime is you're an officer and you do it on a base. These guys are automatically maybe going to try to stick up for you or some shit. I don't know. Well, also, they probably I don't know. I'm guessing there were no other murders on Fort Bragg up to this point. I have no you idea. Know, so these, no, these military know. police probably have never dealt with this kind of shit. I mean, I, that I don't know. I certainly have a homicide department or some shit. Yeah, the CID. Yeah. Criminal Investigations Division. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, so they, they do have experience with crime scenes. It just wasn't... You know. and, I, and I might be wrong. Side stories, LPOTL at gmail.com Please. if I'm wrong about this, but I believe like MP is something you get busted down to. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I'm not saying anything about military police. No. I, I love you. Uh-huh. <laughs> they, you're not a, you're not in the military. They ain't coming for you. No, I know they might be. <laughs> I don't want them to come and put me in. But that was the full extent of the mess left behind in the living room. Additionally, in the adjacent dining room, plates remained balanced on their edges in an unstable china cabinet, and Valentine cards still stood upright on the table. None of these things would have been undisturbed if a struggle between a green beret and four intruders had happened in the next room. So he thought to get his wife a Valentine's Day card three days before he murdered his entire family. He was. Yep. That's why I wonder again about the rage entirely, where yeah. I do feel like he had a little thought in the back of his head of like like a little bit of inspiration. Also, there was a um, there has been homicides at the Fort Bragg. I'm looking. There's a big Roller Stone article about it. Nice. Oh, before this, not nice, but no, <laughs> <I'm glad>. nice. <laughs> All right, we'll get to it soon. <laughs> Next, investigators found all the murder weapons outside of the house. 
The so-called baseball bat was actually a 31-inch piece of wood that was found outside the back door. And 20 feet away in a bush were a second knife and the ice pick, both of which had been wiped clean of blood. And there's some reason I find just a plank of wood to be much scarier than a baseball bat. Oh, very much yeah. so. Well, you could make it into one, too, you know, if That's you want to. That's the idea. You like start becoming the natural. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I would imagine that he was in the midst of an argument with his wife. He was in a rage for some reason the club, the piece of wood out back just popped into his head. Oh, sure. He walked mm-hmm. outside, he grabbed it, he came inside, and he just started fucking whacking her with it. Oh, yeah. Live from your grave. Ah, Jules. Oh, Jules. Make a wife smile today. The road to getting engaged can be long and full of memories and pitfalls and landmines. Or it can be short and thrilling, like a roller coaster on the way to the police department. But the road to finding the perfect engagement ring is a straightforward path every time. All you've got to do is head over to BlueNile.com and they're going to ship them rocks straight to your wife's new fingers. On BlueNile.com, you can create a bigger, more brilliant piece than you can imagine. At a price you won't find at a traditional jeweler, Blue Nile is the original online jeweler since 1999. That's present time to me. Their diamond price guarantee means that in most cases they can meet or beat a competitor's price on a comparable diamond. I know when I got my wife a beautiful Blue Nile necklace, the first thing she did was, what did you do? But afterwards, she was so happy to have it, and she loved it, and she wore it when we went on vacation. And my own, did everybody come around being like, Where'd you get that piece, you beautiful woman? And I was like, stop talking to my wife. She's spoken for. You can see it with the Blue Nile. Bling, she's got honor. Right now, get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more with code LASTPODCAST at BlueNile.com. That's $50 off with code LASTPODCAST at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. How many platforms do I work on? So many platforms. Can you believe it? Google Docs. Work on that. Very complicated. Lots of different things going out. Clickety-clack, right? Slack. Saying things to my employees. All of my, all my, my main doldgers walking around here. It makes sure it changes cluck to the word I meant for it to say to everyone. But I try to say not curse words on Slack. What am I supposed to do about it? But Grammarly doesn't fix curse words, does it? Because Grammarly's too good for it. It's too classy. It's Grammarly is an AI writing partner that helps you get work done faster with high-quality writing. Because better writing means a stronger impact. The pen is mightier than the sword, except when the sword is in the room. 96% of Grammarly users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing and suggestions based on your audience goals and context. Can you believe it? And data privacy and security are woven into the foundation of Grammarly. It's in its goods. All right, so Grammarly's great. Use it. I use it. I love its gentle harassment of my writing style because it does help me because sometimes my thumbs are faster than my eyeballs. Don't quote me on that. Get AI writing support that works where you work. Sign up and download for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors. It's a waste. Don't waste hours on apps. 
besides appetizers. That's the kind of apps I like. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Did you know that empanada is already Spanish? I didn't. Thanks, Babbel. Did you know that burrito is already Spanish? Wow. I just got to learn all the rest. And eventually, I'm going to be eating downtown Mexico. Thanks, Babbel. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash left. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash left, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash L-E-F-T. Rules and restrictions may apply. Now, Detective Ivory then turned his attention to Jeffrey's blue pajama top, the one that had been draped over Colette's corpse. Ivory discovered that there were 48 neat round holes that had obviously been made with the ice pick. So Ivory assumed that Jeffrey had been stabbed 48 times because when you looked at Colette's body, the, the wounds did not match up with the uh, pajama top. Thinking that he was about to lose the last living witness and unaware that Jeffrey was just fine, Ivory dispatched his men to interview Jeffrey immediately. And it was then that Jeffrey gave the hippie story. Soon after, news of Jeffrey's condition came back to Ivory. And Ivory began to wonder why the hippies would take off Jeffrey's pajama top while he was unconscious, stab it neatly 48 times just for funsies, then wrap it around Jeffrey's wrists when it was after completely like destabilizing its integrity, like yeah. making it far easier to rip open. But at the same time, you know what I understood at that moment? I, you know what they were doing? They were trying to make a scary rope. Ah. And that was the scariest shit. Honestly, just doing that was scary. When they were stabbing the shirt in front of me, I was just like, whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. Yeah. I know you just killed my, my family, but that shirt, did nothing. <laughs> I can't believe you. Well, as Ivory examined the bodies and murder weapons even further, he began to find little blue threads everywhere. They were stuck to the club. They were found in the large blood clot on Colette's head wound, and they were found underneath Colette's body. It immediately became clear that these blue threads came from what else but Jeffrey's pajama top, or possibly his matching pajama bottom. And it was quite odd that they should end up underneath Colette's body if he'd only draped it over her chest after it had been ripped up by the supposed hippies. That means he killed them. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Additionally, Ivory also found in Jeffrey and Colette's bed the finger of a latex glove that had been torn away as if someone had ripped off the glove in haste. Mm. Ah, that explains why I said one of the hippies had latex gloves on. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's why he covered it up. Yes. it up. Oh, again and again. He's just covering everything's got a story. The latex glove finger was stained with blood, obviously making it the finger that had painted pig on the headboard. Now, the investigators, of course, pegged Jeffrey McDonald as their sole suspect immediately mm. and didn't believe the hippie story for a fucking second. Oh, yeah. But when the newspapers were tossed out to the sidewalks the next morning, the headlines read, Officer's wife, children found slain at Fort Bragg, victims of hippie cult. Right in the headline. Yeah. Leaning heavily on the drug problems in nearby Fayetteville that were the result of American soldiers smuggling drugs from Vietnam, the article claimed that the intruders had marched around the house chanting, quote, LSD is great. LSD is great. LSD is great. <laughs> it is, you know, it is. Yeah. We're they weren't wrong. They no. punched it up. Yeah, they yeah, did. Yeah, they they did. Pun they punched it up. They switched some things around. Yeah. Worsening the panic, the Fayetteville County Sheriff said that by his estimate, about 2,000 hippies Whoa. had recently moved to the area to, quote, Yeah, mob up together. 
living like animals with quilts on the floor, painting all kinds of pictures and decorations. You know how it is with these hippies. Everything's an owl. Can't just something be normal? Can't just one thing not have shag upon it and I flat rug. Too much texture. He then, of course, referenced the Manson family murders, which again had occurred just the previous summer. The sheriff claimed that any and all hippies were capable of grotesque acts of violence. Hell yeah. Because this time, this is, now it's anti-hippie yeah. across the country. Well, I mean, the Manson family murders were August. This was February. Okay, so it's fresh in everyone's head. So fucking fresh. And they're also, and the Manson family is also freshly caught because they weren't caught until October. Yeah. Well, do you remember like when Titanic came out and then like a month later there was that movie called like Titanic? <laughs> That's like what this is. Oh yeah, or like when Deep Impact came out the same week as Armageddon. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, yes. yeah. Or Ants. when there's two Robert Kennedy movies and stuff yeah. like that. Ants, Bugs, Prefont, two Prefontaine movies. Mm-hmm. That was the weirdest one. Yeah, that is really weird. Yeah, well, there's a reason behind that. All these uh, movie studios have these scripts ready to go. So when they hear the other movie movie studio is about to put out like a volcano movie, it's like now it's time for our volcano movie. They push out their volcano Dante's movie, Peak. Dante's Peak, and I think the other one's volcano. Just volcano. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I believe that Dante's Peak was the good one. Dante's Peak was better. I wouldn't call it the good one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. yeah. They say that's why we'll never have a Houdini movie because really? every studio has a Houdini script ready to go. And it's like this like mutually assured destruction thing. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Because you can't shoot. Because which one's going to be? It's going to be some skinny guy. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I just want it. Ah, just got not British. Make it about his brother. Yeah. That'd be good. Yeah, yeah Ludini. Yeah. I played Ludini in a, in a short I did for, for Ray-Bans. That's true. Well, the sheriff also just ratcheted up the fear that much more by saying they were probably Satanists. Mm-hmm. After that, the mm-hmm. story went national and became the most talked about event in America. But speaking of media, if you'll rewind your brain just a bit, you'll remember that I mentioned that the coffee table had been tipped over on its side, and underneath was a stack of magazines. I remember. pretty pointless to mention. Yeah, yeah, but you see, (laughs) that's that's the writer's mind. Yes, the the magazines, yes, they seemed like a superfluous detail in the past. (laughs) But you will now see that it is, in fact, the most important clue. Okay. You fucking idiot. So You'll never know anything. Okay. By the way, I do have sweat on Yeah, look at now I'm sweating like <laughs> I'm a fucking animal. I'm fine. You I see, know you I are. know yeah. you're gonna be I knew okay. you were gonna be fine. Now I'm comfortable. Yeah. Well, I'm hot. I'm happy for you. Thank you. But speak <laughs> Well the caption read Evil lurks in California. Lee Marvin is afraid. But that's a horrible press for Lee Marvin. Yeah. <laughs> Lee Marvin was is just, historically not afraid. And I like it because it was just a picture of Lee Marvin hiding behind a blanket. And he saw his two like, oh, oh, oh. I'd be furious if I was Lee Marvin's oh, yeah. publicist. <laughs> I'm the $6 million man, right? Isn't that Lee Marvin? No, Lee Marvin was the leader of the Dirty Dozen. Like oh, he's yeah. like, like this is like the man's man. Yeah, yeah, he's more badass than Steve McQueen at this point. Yeah, I mean, but I think that was the point that they were trying to make is that the problem in California scared. is so fucking horrible that even Lee Marvin is afraid. Lee Marvin's scared of the skinniest boys you'll ever find. <laughs> I just every time I get near one, all I want to do is kiss him. And really, I'm just afraid of destroying the sanctity of my marriage. <laughs> And the reason why Lee Marvin was afraid was because of the focus of that issue, which I love to get a copy of this issue because Lee Marvin was on the cover and everything. 
The subject was witchcraft cults, drug orgies, and violence perpetrated by hippies in California. In one picture detailing a satanic orgy, one could see an acid queen with long blonde hair consummating a candlelit orgy by copulating with a black swan. Just bring me in. I don't know how that works, though. Well, you, the swan normally is there. I also think the but swan can eat pussy. But they said copulating with the black yeah, swan. Yeah, they Maybe just the, feed on their pussy, and then just, the swan gets in there. But the you tiny lube teeth. up its head. It's got a long neck. And yeah. you shove it yeah, in there. Yeah, you just fuck the whole head. Yeah, or, I, you honest, let it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's mostly, honestly. Yeah, it's like the female version of the gerbil thing. Yeah. yeah. It just flails around. It could be that, or it's just fucking there underneath your balls. Playing it was a, with but your it's a woman. It was, it was a, a woman. woman. Yeah, playing with your pussy back. <laughs> mm-hmm. How did how did Mila Kunis and uh, Natalie Portman do it? <laughs> That's straight up old fashioned way. <laughs> and the tongues do the read. <laughs> I do, if you scissor with a swan, you get eggs inside of you. Yeah. <laughs> but perhaps more important was an article about the Manson family that focused on the grisly details of the Sharon Tate murder. Specifically, the article spoke extensively about the use of the word pig yeah. at the crime scene. Of course. Detailing that it had been written on the headboard in Sharon Tate's bedroom. Exact same scene. He copied it. Yes. It also didn't hurt that both Tate and Colette were pregnant. Another piece of the puzzle. What all this points to, from the blonde acid queen to the pig graffiti, was the fact that Jeffrey McDonald had taken direct inspiration from this issue of Esquire to stage a false copycat crime. He had that idea that night. Yeah. Like, he literally was going to be looking through the magazine. He was like, no fucking way. Come on, Esquire. Give me some answers. Give me some answers. Okay, what if I... If anything, it's the answers to Esquire. I'll write a letter to Lee Marvin and I'll tell him to come to my house and eliminate my hippie family. <laughs> and it's like, back then, it's not a copycat. It's a copy cool cat. Joke for toddlers. Right. <laughs> and it's, again, this is about our new toddler-based true crime initiative. <laughs> you know? Ted Butt Bundy for babies. Again, I think that will also be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, it'd be wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. No, chase for children. Yeah. <laughs> that one that one's problematic. That one's problematic. Ed yeah, Gein yeah. be great at making a bottle top. Yeah. Oh god. Ed Gein was beloved by children. Oh, he yeah. was the town babysitter. No shit. Really? No, well, that's completely well, true. Definitely free time. He uses the word beloved. Like, really loosely. I think that he was tolerated and that he was a simpleton that they just sort of allowed. They they were like, ah, he's harmless. What does he know what to do? He's just sitting there going, he's just waving at the road and shit like every day, like waving at road signs. Like, being like, you know, the birds tell me that I killed my mother. You know what I mean? Like, it's a whole. On the night that Bernice Warden's body was found, he was having a pickle dinner. This is no shit. I remember. It was a pickle dinner at his 10-year-old friend's house, at a little boy's house, with the parents, of course. It was Corey yeah. Feldman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a boy who's a friend to adults everywhere. They said pickle dinner is just a pickle with a knife and a fork, right? Yes. Well, it, it it's was, hands. At that point, yeah, it was mostly pickles. Yeah. That was the focus of the meal was pickles. <laughs> Now, initially, forensics had a field day with evidence gathering. Firstly, blue pajama threads were found in every room a murder occurred in places that only the murderer would have been. <laughs> Additionally, threads were found in places that they should... Additionally, threads weren't found in places that they should have been. And the same went for splinters left behind by the murder club. You wouldn't believe, all right? The threads <laughs> were everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> 
One of the most telling clues was the fact that while every room was soaked and splattered and streaked and stained with blood, and while Jeffrey claimed to check everyone's pulse to make sure they were dead, and while everyone had extensive neck wounds, there was no blood on the telephone Jeffrey used to call for help. Again, why uh. stay in the landline? <laughs> <laughs> Washing. Yes. What are we doing here? I'm a surgeon. That's, that's exactly what he later said. He said... I'm a surgeon. I just wash my hands out of habit. I look down. I see blood on my hands. I'm I gotta washing. go. I'm I'm washing. I'm you know? washing. And everybody's you. fucking dead anyway. So what the fuck do I need to call nine one one for in such a fucking hurry? Yeah. What do you want from me? I'm just a guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't hear you dying. <laughs> Finally, a neighbor who had been afraid to get involved at first came forward and reported hearing Colette's loud, angry voice coming from the McDonald house that night. Even more disturbingly. The neighbor's daughter said that she heard Jeffrey either sobbing loudly or laughing hysterically. Neither, however, heard a struggle. I imagine it was both. Like, a little like, alternating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Go back and forth. Yeah, I great. wonder like, what my neighbors hear. Yeah. No. <laughs> it's the loud. I think it's the like, same thing. Yeah, it's, it sounds the same. <laughs> Definitely acid is groovy. Yeah. <laughs> my <laughs> house is the like, same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but again, it's about pork. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even without 44 days of forensic investigation, which is, that's what they did on that house. They spent 44 days in that house. Oh, my God. Jeffrey was the main suspect by the second day. Me? Moi? He didn't know that, though. But by February 23rd, six days after the murder, investigators were confident enough to contact the FBI and tell them that they could stop their nationwide manhunt for four killer hippies. Meanwhile, they've just been having so much fun beating the living yeah. fuck out of hitchhikers. Hold on, I gotta <laughs> stop beating hippies? Hey, okay, all right, we know. What if we stop officially looking for them, right? <laughs> and we just do it for fun. The problem was that even though there was a ton of forensic evidence, the team on the job fucked up at almost every turn. And what was left that pointed towards Jeffrey was mostly circumstantial. See, it's one thing to look at a scene and say, holy fuck, it's so obvious that this guy totally fucking did it. Yeah, him no wounds, just mm -hmm. sitting there, hi, yep. hi. Yeah. But it's another thing entirely to prove beyond a reasonable doubt in court that a charming Green Beret would suddenly murder his entire family, especially since the Manson family murders were so fresh on everyone's mind. Additionally, Colette's parents had nothing but the highest praise for their son-in-law, saying that he was not capable of such a thing. And everyone investigators spoke to also had nothing but the highest praise for a man whose biggest weakness was probably that he worked too hard. He cared too much. <laughs> I know how it is. But, you know, it just shows that what compartmentalization can do and how you can basically live a whole separate life and no one will have any fucking idea what's going on in the center of your goddamn brain. Yeah, because mm -hmm. on paper, he's like someone you look up to. Of you course. Know? And so you yes, don't want to believe that no. this guy... No, he's a veteran. Yeah. He's a doctor. He's a, And he weighed all of that, I think, against his crimes. And not only that, like, you gotta really remember the context of the crimes here. Then You gotta remember the year. This is 1970. This is when vets are coming back from Vietnam and being literally called baby killers. Yeah. Like, that is the narrative that is going on amongst certain, you know, people in America. Meanwhile, the ones that stayed behind and didn't go killed babies. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's real complicated, man. It's a lot of ins and outs when it comes to this. And so the prosecution would have to rely on hard evidence, very little of which still existed. For example, at the hospital, McDonald's pajama bottoms had been burned with the hospital trash because nobody thought to keep them. Jesus fucking Christ. I mean, it goes on and on. It's so aggravating. 
Back at the McDonald home, the CID hadn't secured the garbage there either, and the trash collectors were allowed to take away bags that might have contained, say, a bloodstained surgical glove with one finger missing. <laughs> Concerning that bloody bare footprint, that got destroyed by accident when technicians tried removing the floorboards and fucked up the whole operation. It just went snap, crack, done. Good God. There was also a piece of skin that had been found under Colette's fingernails. Remember that? When I said yeah. there was, yeah. there's, there's some skin what on happened? a fingernail. Some cop eat it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Man, I, I forgot my cliff bars. Are you done sucking on her fingers? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you want to go? Yeah, I'll, let me get on the feet. Just lost. No one knows where it went. Good no Lord. one knows where how, how it was lost, where it went. It's just inexplicably lost. Just hanging out with JFK's brain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Flesh mound heaven. Yeah. But while the investigation was being put together, Jeffrey returned to duty. Six weeks later, though, once investigators Franz Grebner and Robert Shaw felt like they had enough to rip apart McDonald's narrative, they finally brought him in for questioning. Eddie, do you think your father's feet is in Flesh Mound Heaven? Mm, interesting. <laughs> I, you know, it is what do they think? What do they do with that stuff? They what burn do you mean? it. They burn it. They burn they, it. I also think sometimes they just throw it out. Well, they have biological waste, you yeah, know, like yeah. bi biological hazards, but I think it eventually goes to an incinerator. I think that's where it all goes. I don't know. Side stories, lpotlgmail.com. Where do our body parts go when we die? I would imagine, because I don't, I can't see a landfill just filled with like, you know, diabetic feet. I can. In Reno. <laughs> <laughs> that, I, what's, that's what Reno is. Yeah. I got a tooth extracted. I kept that. That's, That's fun because that normally they don't let you keep those. I you know I talked to my dentist. She's a nice lady. Yeah, she knows a guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, in a classic cat and mouse game, Grebner and Shaw slowly gathered information from McDonald, waiting for the moment to pounce. For the most part, though, Jeffrey did not do well under pressure. Mm. He spoke in a rapid, high-pitched tone most of the time, stumbling and stammering over his words. But pretty soon, Grebner started hitting him with questions about the hippies and the supposed acid is groovy chant. This is what McDonald <sighs> said. Oh, yeah, no, all right, we can get you know, we can get into that. Yeah, she wasn't jumping up and down and screaming, you know, you know, she wasn't saying to kill him, you know. The point was, it all seemed, you know, when, when you see it like like an easy rider, right? I, I made the mistake of going to see that film. They have all these stop action things. Well, that's that's what it seemed like. Terrible movie. <laughs> I can't even. What was I talking about? What was the question? But after going through the story again and again, Franz Grebner went full bad cop and told Jeffrey that there were just too many discrepancies for a story to be true. The living room was too tidy for a struggle to have taken place. Jeffrey's wounds were mm -mm. too insubstantial. No, no, no. Absolutely not. <laughs> no, no, no. No, no, no. Most damning, though, is that there was no evidence whatsoever that four rampaging psychotic hippies on acid had been anywhere in the house. No blonde hair, no footprints from a boot. I saw a floppy hat! <laughs> <laughs> it's at this point that Jeffrey began panicking, saying, quote, Okay, Jesus Christ, this is getting, what, what's this called? Circumstantial evidence? Yeah, well, uh, go ahead. Yeah, what else do you have, right? What you're doing... Is you sitting here telling me that I killed my wife and my kids, right? That's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. <laughs> oh, man, Jesus Christ, this is a nightmare. This is like Edgar Allan Poe. Wow. Apparently don't know much about my family and myself. I'll tell you that just to come up with that conclusion. Or me, for that matter. <laughs> You're all just sitting here just like, is this a Scorsese film? Yeah. <laughs> but by the end of it, Grebner had what he needed. 
A report was filed officially announcing that Jeffrey McDonald was the main suspect in the murders. While criminal charges were not filed, and this is important, the Army was going to conduct an internal Article 32 inquiry to see if charges would be filed. To give you a little bit of background on Article 32, it's just, it's not necessarily, I wouldn't even call it like a military tribunal. Uh, It's kind of like a grand jury for the military where they go up, they put forth all of this evidence. You know, you got your defense, you got your prosecution, although it's not really defense and prosecution, but it's just to see if the army wants to bring forth charges on a crime committed on an army base with an officer. Okay. So, so the FBI can't just say, fuck you? Now, the way the law is worked out, the way the law, like the way, you know, you it just have goes. the legal system, um, it's the it's the Army's problem. Yeah. And, and the Army has to deal with it. The, mil- the military has to deal with it. They're good with killing, not solving. Yeah. You know. The, As we'll see. We'll, we'll yeah. see. <laughs> yeah. Now, Article 32 or no, the filing was reported on the national news that very night. And a Philadelphia lawyer named Bernie Siegel saw the story and thought, Jesus Christ, this guy's fucking guilty. But much to his surprise, Siegel soon got a call from Jeffrey McDonald's mother asking Siegel to defend her son. Now, ironically, Bernie Siegel was mostly a civil rights lawyer who defended war protesters, draft resistors, military deserters, and people with drug charges. In other words, he defended the people that Jeffrey McDonald hated the most, i.e., Hippies. hippie. <laughs> Nevertheless, Siegel took the case and ended up defending Jeffrey McDonald for decades to come. Wow. Oh, yeah. Once the Article 32 hearing came about, Siegel proved himself well worth the money. He started by ripping apart the many investigative fuck-ups perpetrated by the Fort Bragg MPs. And this isn't even investigating. This is just MPs on the scene. This is yeah. just not malfeasance, but incompetence. Yeah. They didn't control the crime scene. They didn't keep a list of officers entering and exiting the apartment. Some of them tracked in wet grass. Oh, my God. Several MPs just started touching stuff, and there was no attempt to control the evidence. Were they hammered? No, they just just was hyper careless. They were super, super careless. And they're all just fucking shocked at what they're seeing. They're all just incredibly traumatized. I also wonder if they're young. They probably are. Probably at 19 years old. Yeah. Not knowing shit about shit. The absolute worst example of their failure to control the scene was the fact that the ambulance driver stole Jeffrey McDonald's wallet. You started going through desks and like checking and seeing like, I have a fucking wallet. Cool. Take the cash, leave the wallet. Always. We, we all know that. Mm-hmm. The MPs, they even used the fucking bathroom. You know, they destroyed just whatever some evidence. More DNA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, you mind like, if I cut myself in here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just gonna, I He's like shaving <laughs> like over the thing, cutting his toenails and like leaving them. Furthermore, Bernie Siegel's cross-examinations of the forensics teams would have made Johnny Cochran proud. Mm-hmm. Siegel out of the team is confused, disorganized, and utterly out of their depth, using too many examples to go into here. We'd be here for another fucking 30 minutes yeah. if I went through everything they fucked up on. Jesus Christ. They couldn't have fucked up worse if they tried. I think they might have tried. You think so? I don't know. I mean, I don't believe necessarily in the idea that they would go in and they're not trying to exonerate this man. I just think that they just did. They, 
I don't think they knew what they were doing. They didn't know what the hell they, they, they were doing. Did I think not there's know what a couple doing. guys that didn't want him to be caught. It's Maybe. a bad look for an off a Green Beret to kill his family oh, on, sure. in Fort Bragg. On yeah. Fort, yeah, yeah you yeah. literally like, at a military base. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like some army recruiter was like, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. This is really going to be bad. We're let's trying to get parachutes. Yeah, let's get him innocent and then send him out to <laughs> Vietnam and have him killed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He'll die the old fashioned As it's done. <laughs> Next, Siegel brought in an MP named Kenneth Mika, who revealed that on February 17th, 1970, he'd seen a hippie. Holy fucking uh, God. Not in, not in 1970. Not in <laughs> Fayetteville. Let's for goddamn sure. MP Mika said that on the night in question, just after the murders were known to have occurred, he saw a young woman a half mile from the murder scene wearing, get this! A floppy hat. I hate oh. this fucking floppy hat. Like, this is not evidence. <laughs> Unfortunately, though, no units were dispatched that night to find the floppy hatted woman. Mm. No, you have to send the haberdasher squad. <laughs> Thank God she wasn't wearing a fez. <laughs> they would never have been able to find her. There's so many stupid hats in this story. Berets. <laughs> <laughs> but as it was, this woman did exist. Her name was Helena Stokely and she'd be a character in the Jeffrey McDonald case for years to come. Supposedly, Stokely was a member of a witchcraft cult. Yeah, yeah. And she was known to wear high boots, yeah, yeah. a blonde wig, uh-uh. yeah. and a floppy hat. I did it to cover my brain. <laughs> my brain sensitive. <laughs> Thank you. Have you noticed to see the little wings? For sure. For sure. <laughs> in reality, Stokely was more of a burnout who sometimes dealt drugs. But a former neighbor of hers named William Posey told Bernie Siegel that on the morning of the murders, he saw a car quickly pull into Helena Stokely's driveway containing two, possibly three men who were all just a laughing and a giggling. Can't believe that. Cut they'd have George. They ate for the joy. Uh, but they weren't doing the acid groovy. Kill pigs. Acid is groovy. Kill pigs. Like, no, that's were, how you know. They were fucking stoned out of their gourds and having a great night. Yeah, yeah. looking at her stupid floppy hat. <laughs> Probably sharing. Reaching over. Flop. 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 flop, flop. Yeah, you like flicking. You like flicking my hat. Well, it's my top clip. <laughs> well, Helena was then seen rushing out of the car into her house, and the men immediately sped away. Then the neighbor said that on the day of the McDonald family funeral, Helena wore all black and hung a funeral wreath on her door. Additionally, after February 17th, nary a single floppy hat nor blonde wig was ever seen upon Helena Stokely's head ever again. Oh, uh, Maybe it's because there was a fucking APB for yeah. a person with a blonde wig mm. and a floppy hat. Yeah. Yeah, she's not that stupid. No, well, I mean, I don't know, but she's probably like, Dexy, with time for a switch up anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go brunette. And it's also very possible that, you know, Jeffrey took this image of the, the supposed woman and used from it. Helena Stokely. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's quite possible he saw her around town. Posey then said that Helena left Fayetteville weeks later because she told him that the cops were giving her a hard time about the murder. But when she returned in August <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. and Posey point blank asked her about possible involvement in the murders, she said that she didn't remember anything about that night. Jesus. But she did remember her boyfriend saying, quote, Well, I guess we can't get married until we go out and kill some more people. Why I would you ever don't in a know. million years? She's out of her fucking... She's lifelong. Loves attention. Well, no, just I a am- drug. Just fucking fry. 
I can't tell you what I'm saying right now. <laughs> Ain't nothing going on. Let's just say the hat's doing the thinking. Oh, fully acid fried, like crazy acid fried, along with every other drug you can fucking You ever imagine. been a bunny? You don't know what it's like to eat a carrot unless you've been a bunny before. Is this about the murder? <laughs> yeah, murder him. I imagine acid was a little different back then, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you're taking more of it, probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not even knowing you are. Probably. Yeah. Like full sheets of paper. Oh, yeah. Getting, touching <laughs> it and getting it all over you. I remember you You told the story about when you had to run the pep rally and then the guy that you were buying acid. Yeah, I was buying liquid acid from this guy and he like, and we were putting it on fruit striped gum. Delicious. Great idea. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But then he put it on my hand and he just looks up at me and goes, Oh no! Yeah, he did a full <laughs> squirt of a biofill yeah. of acid and right onto his fucking, fucking hand. Student council, and I had to like load buses up for grad night, oh, just like talk yeah. to the principal and a bunch of cops. Yeah. So you remember that? <laughs> do you remember a picture that that picture was of like the guy who was like the guy with all the different like I forget it was like how his schizophrenia progressed, where yeah. you saw like the cat slowly turn into colors like mm -hmm. a kaleidoscope. That's like what he did to his teachers. <laughs> now, Stokely was called in to testify, but she would alternate between confessing and recanting. And the only thing her stories proved was that she did a lot of drugs all the time. Yep. You ever lick a shovel? <laughs> I do fucking literally whatever. <laughs> you know? Well, while Stokely was a bit of a non-starter, Siegel brought in character witness after character witness who all testified to Jeffrey McDonald's unquestionable character. Even Jeffrey's father-in-law testified, saying that he, if he ever had another daughter, he'd still want the same son-in-law. And I'd have her marry him by the time she was three years old. <laughs> In fact, where's my wife? Where's my damn where's wife? My wife? Time Pull to make another, come on. Wife. Time to make another wife for our son-in-law. <laughs> Finally, though, Jeffrey McDonald himself testified at his own hearing, and he was far more practiced than what he'd been since the interrogation. He'd straightened out his story considerably, and any discrepancies between the hearing and the multiple interviews since the murders were chalked up to either the fallibility of human memory or the blow to the head he received that fateful night. Honestly, now, most of the time, truly, I can't even see a floppy hat. <laughs> I'm just beside myself. Hey, these bucket hats are supposed to be coming out soon, <laughs> and I know that's going to be a nightmare for me. With such, by the time the Article 32 hearing was concluded, all charges were dismissed due to insufficient evidence. But an Article 32 hearing is not a criminal trial. It's not even a grand jury. This was simply an internal investigation within the military. So rules of double jeopardy did not apply. It just meant that he wasn't going to get charged with the crime, that the government wasn't going to charge him, and the military wasn't going to charge him. But as far as Jeffrey was concerned, he was scot-free. Oh, yeah. He'd gotten away with murder. And riding that high, he decided to parlay his tragedy into stardom by becoming a highly visible professional mourner. Oh, my God. It would be that arrogance, however, that would eventually land Jeffrey in jail. And we'll detail every bit that led him to that point when we pick back up next week for part two. Ah, uh, nice. Just a bunch of lies next week. A lot of lies. A lot of lies. <laughs> a lot of lies. A lot of nervous hand-wringing. It's also uh, good to a know. A lot of anger from the father-in-law once he figures out, like, oh. Wait a second. Wait yeah. a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Put that new wife of his back to the side. 
<laughs> God, what a horrible story. Yeah. And yeah. Next week, I'm glad we'll get it. We're going to hunt him down. We're going to get him. We're going to put him in jail. Thank you guys for listening. We got uh, a lot of bullshit up. Twitch.tv slash Last Podcast Network. Come watch all the shows on Twitch. We've got uh, Murder Fist. It's happening right. right now. It's happening now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you already missed it. We already, yeah, it's already done. The, the Dynasty Typewriter shows are this weekend. We can't fucking wait. We have all these horrible men in town. It's so nice to have all of Murder Fist over at my house. I miss everybody. It's oh, great. man. To wake up and see a member of Murder Fist in my house in the morning isn't scary. No. <laughs> no, not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. It's been beautiful, man. It's been so nice. And it's been nice hanging with you guys. Too. Yeah. It's been- yeah, of course. It's been nice having you. All right. See you, fuckers. Bye. Hail Satan. Again. Hail me, motherfuckers! This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. I was shocked, you know? They were always such a good team. So successful. But to do something like that? To exceed their budget? While being over budget might not be a crime, it can disrupt workflows. With Monday.com, you and the team can be sure that you're all in sync. All the data, latest updates, files, and budgets are visible to everyone, so you won't miss a thing. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com.